When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folks, we've got the playoffs right around the corner, bowl season coming up, but we're entering another season as well. And as the coaching carousel spins, we welcome you to the silly season right here on The Three Technique. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. My goodness, where to begin in this episode? We've got coaches flying all over the country. We've got the transfer portal that's open today. Uh, It's going to be a historic number of guys that go into the portal this year, and we're just trying to keep up with it, but we're going to do it bit bit by bit, piece by piece. Uh, This is probably the first of maybe two or three coaching carousel episodes, just depending on how far it gets spinning. I'm Mitch Mace along with Garrett Turney. Uh, Garrett, a lot has gone on in the last, I don't know, 72 hours or so. We're going to talk about Texas A&M and the drama there with Kentucky and Mark Stoops. Uh, We've got Jonathan Smith leaving his alma mater to take on an embattered program. And we've got Jeff Levy and maybe Art Bryles going to Mississippi State. There's a lot to break down here tonight. Uh, How you doing, my friend? Ah, man, the last couple of days have just been an absolute whirlwind. Um, This this news has been crazy. Obviously, getting to do this on the live show and getting to react to everything live was pretty fantastic. Um, And and man, I I just got to say it was it was it was crazy and it hasn't stopped getting crazy. Some of these deals are pretty straightforward, interesting, you know, decisions maybe. And and we'll obviously break that down. But man, the the A&M saga by itself, I feel like could be a 30 for 30 if you just got that one night and went into everybody's backstory and who took one angle. And, and, and I hope that we get it someday. I hope we get a chance to watch that story because it was crazy. Well, I'm going to do my best to kind of break down the sequence of events uh, for that. We were a part of reporting on that, certainly not breaking any of the news, but uh, had a tweet that went somewhat viral uh, that night, breaking down kind of the step-by-step that that night unfolded. Uh, but like I said, we've got a lot to get to Texas A&M, probably chief among it, but uh, we're going to do our best to update you with the coaching carousel up to the minute. Uh, I've been updating a document all day long, um, keeping track with that. So uh, we'll do our best there. Do want to let you know tonight's broadcast, every broadcast brought to you by our friends over at the Transfer Portal CFB. Uh, you can check out our weekly column, uh, Headlines in Review. I just wrote one breaking down Rivalry Week, all the drama that went on and giving you a taste of what the coaching carousel might look. So if you want to read that in article form, head on over to the Transfer Portal CFB website. 
Also, shout out to our friends, homefieldapparel.com. Their Black Friday deal just ended. It was a full 20% off deal. I hope you got uh, some merch from that deal. In fact, I know that some of y'all did because I got the commission payment today. Uh, but if you would like to continue to score 15% off your Home Field Apparel merch for Christmas shopping, that's what a lot of folks are doing right now. Use our code 3TECHPOD. You get 15% off your entire order. If you're a first-time buyer or if you're a repeat customer, buy through our link. It's over on our Twitter account. Gets you the same discount uh, going forward as well. Again, supports the podcast. We're just thrilled to be partnered with the good brand and uh, looking forward to seeing all kinds of home field under the tree on Christmas Day. Garrett, with that, though, let's get into it. Uh, Texas A&M. Boy, they've been at the center of a lot of news, a lot of angst. Uh, if you're in College Station, a lot of maybe ridicule, finger pointing, um, and oh so brazen laughing if you're the rest of the country. Jimbo Fisher gone. Mike Elko now in. And Elko comes in at a reduced salary than what Jimbo was making. That only makes sense. I think what's right. maybe more surprising is that it's actually a smaller deal than what Jonathan Smith got over at Michigan State. Now, Michigan State did not have to pay that massive buyout from Mel Tucker. They got to fire him with cause. So a couple more coins perhaps in the coffer up in East Lansing than at Texas A&M. But as we start, I want your gut reaction from Mike Elko. We'll break down the Mark Stoops drama in just a second. But when you heard that Elko was the guy and he flew to College Station at like 3 in the morning. What was your thinking for the Aggies? I mean, immediately coming off of it, I was just ecstatic that it wasn't Mark Stoops because that was what we were dealing with the night before. And I was a little bit nervous that that was going to be a reality as fans for the next couple of years. But, you know, looking at it just from an outside perspective and trying to think about what AM's trying to accomplish – I think that this makes a lot of sense for the Aggies. Um, I don't think this is a smash home run hire. I don't think this is, you know, a, a perfect, you know, ace guaranteed championship, you know, like the last guy that they hired. Um, but it's it's certainly going to be, I, I think, a good reset uh, without having to tear all the way down, right? I think the big issue at AM the last couple of years has just been a culture problem. There is something wrong with the guy's mindset in the locker room, if it's you know, starting with the coaches, if it permeated through some players. I know obviously there was a lot of transfers out last year um, and and there were some behavioral issues with some of those guys anyways. Um, but uh, I think the big thing that AM needs right now is just a little bit of a culture reset, a guy who can come in, manage things, and, and put you in a good position to win. Mike Elko, very familiar with the culture at AM, very familiar with what had been going on. Uh, for several years and, and kind of the the outside of the athletic department culture as well, understanding what the fan base is and what they want. Uh, and, and I think he's going to be able to do a pretty good job. Now, do I think the ceiling is maybe as high as, as you know, you could have gotten with other hires? Maybe not. I think it's still kind of a too early to be seen. Um, but for me, this isn't a too close to call. It's a too early to call. I just I don't know exactly what he's going to have in his coaching career long term. He had a couple of great years at Duke, uh, especially considering what Duke had. And, and this last year, especially considering that Riley Leonard went down with injury. But I, I think it's still too early to see what's he going to do in the SEC. What's he going to be able to do as a head coach with you know a different talent level? 
Um, not not to disparage Duke in their roster, but he will have more talent on the roster at Texas A&M. What's he going to do in a better recruiting bed with more ability to recruit? Uh, I think there's a lot of question marks there, but there's a lot of confidence that they got the right guy. There's a lot of confidence that A&M has settled with their guy. They like the guy that they have and that this is going to be their, you know, let's steady the boat after what's been a couple of rocky years for the Texas A&M Aggies. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I don't know that the home run hire was was out there this year. You know, AM sure. certainly did their due diligence. They kicked the tires on guys like Dan Lanning, on uh, Kalen DeBoer. Even reaching out to Ryan Day's agent, I, I don't know that there was a ton of interest, um, certainly on Ryan Day's side. I, I don't really know if AM wanted to pony up the cash to actually pay Ryan Day, but I do know they kicked the tires there. Uh, and then obviously... Uh, Nearly had a deal with with Mark Stoops. I think Elko is a guy who's familiar here uh, in College Station. He knows how to recruit around the Lone Star State. He's very popular with the Texas High School Football Association, um, with the head coaches. That is something that was not true of Jimbo Fisher. They respected him as a, as a football coach, but uh, certainly weren't sending a lot of Christmas cards, I don't think, uh, to the Fisher household. Elko is kind of the opposite. He's a player's coach. He is very, very good with his guys. He's discipline-oriented. But I think he's going to be a solid hire for Texas A&M. Now, can he get to that 9-10 win uh, plateau? I don't know. I don't know if that's possible or not. We haven't really seen uh, if that is in the cards for Mike Elko. Just two years at Duke, obviously had them uh, at a very competitive level, destroyed Clemson. Early on this season, played very, very solid defense, and he was able to recruit well at Duke, a player that or a team that's a you know a, a small private school with with high academic standards. So he's everywhere he's gone, he's made the most of what he's been given. Now the real question is just what is the ceiling for Elko at Texas A and M? What we do know is that he's very, very popular not only amongst the former members of the football team, guys around the program that might still be mentoring these guys, but he's also very popular with the roster. And if you're looking yep. for some mass exodus from College Station, from the the blue chippers, we haven't seen that yet. Now, not to say that there won't be a player, two, three, four, et cetera, that do end up leaving. I, I don't know. We haven't heard Elko's full staff be announced. What we do know, though, is that the Elko hiring was very popular popular in the locker room and that the, shall we say, less than favored staff members from the Fisher administration have been let go. They will no longer be a part of it. So it, it feels like maybe the best possible fresh start for the Aggies outside of hiring an A-plus coach like a Lanning, like a DeBoer. Uh, but I think this brings back an identity Texas A&M they want to be known for their hard-nosed defense they need to figure out the offense if they're going to win 10 plus games but Elko brings a determination as he said in his press conference a blue collar mentality I have to think that sets Texas A&M up for success on the other hand though folks were saying well okay that's great defensive minded head coach blue collar mentality how is he different from Mark Stoops I'll say this, on the field, I don't know that there's a ton of difference between Mark Stoops and Mike Elko, 
Where I do think there is a difference, though, is maybe familiarity with this area and a familiarity and a respect down here in the program that Mark Stoops just hasn't had a chance to earn. Right. And the the thing that people are also going to overlook in all this is the connection with the Texas high schools. If you are recruiting in the state of Texas, if you're trying to win at a high level, you need to be able to go into like Duncanville and North Shore and, and a couple of these other big time programs in the state. And you need to be able to go and grab a couple of those kids every few years. And that's been something that under Jimbo Fisher hasn't really been able to happen. I know he's got a couple of guys from North Shore that have kind of come through and, and then transferred out. Um, but, you know, th there hasn't really been any success. I don't even know if they've signed anyone from Duncanville and, and gosh knows how long. But it, it's it, it's got to be something that they address. Right. And it's it's not going to get to be a you know Texas high school football podcast on here. But that that is a massive part of the equation for any program in the state of Texas who's trying to build. You need to get in with those big 6A programs where all the talent is. And you need to be able to grab a couple of those kids every recruiting cycle from, from you know, a, a smattering from each of those high schools. So if you can't do that, you're not going to win. If you can't do that, you're not going to be successful long term. Elko has those relationships established from his time as a defensive coordinator at AM. And for better or worse, Stoops doesn't have that, right? He, he just doesn't have that. In terms of the on-field differences, I think this is where I just say, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's really a big difference because Mike Elko hasn't had a chance to really go out there as a head coach and establish himself for 11 years like Mark Stoops has been at Kentucky, right? He's been up there for, you know, a decade plus now. And so you kind of know what you're getting with his program. You don't really know what you're going to get out of Mike Elko because, you know, up for a lot of those guys, they weren't guys at Duke that he had recruited to really play in the upper levels of his system. He recruited some of the lower classmen, but obviously they hadn't had the time to develop into upperclassmen. You don't know, you know, what he can do if he gets a, you know, higher level or maybe a, a better, you know, paid offensive coordinator, offensive staff overall. And, and I thought, to, again, not trying to disparage anything at Duke. They did a really good job while they were there. But with the resources that AM has, he could make really good hires. Or maybe he just doesn't have the, the connections, the contacts, the charisma, whatever it is, to make those hires happen. That could be a possibility, too. I We don't know yet is the point. And I think right now AM is banking on the upside and what they do know about Elko instead of trying to go out and say, like, well, you know, last time we went with the guy who was the surefire bet and we paid him everything. And clearly that didn't work out, right? I, I think that's kind of the goal here is to say, we know some stuff about Mike Elko. We know what we like about him. So let's push that and, and try to, you know, get back into the high schools, like I was saying earlier, and start winning some games schematically, maybe make some good coordinator hires and see where that can take us, as opposed to just giving one guy complete and utter control of the whole program. I think the other difference is one of them had the support of the fan base. The other absolutely in no uncertain terms did not. Sure. Uh, so the sequence of events is, as we passed along again, this was now, not some Mitch, before you get into that though, I want to just bring up, we don't know what we're talking about because we're a, a Texas oil money podcast with small following. So, you know, I, I know that we're both rolling in that Texas oil money yeah. uh, and, and that somehow that hasn't resulted in a greater following here, but I just wanted to establish that off the front end. We acknowledge that we know nothing Mitch has no connections. M Mitch doesn't know anything about that, right? This is this is not anything we know anything about. I just want to establish that on the front end for our Twitter comment section there. 
I, we certainly had some Kentucky folks um, trying to intimate that I was making this up. Uh, certainly was not. I was. We're not in the breaking news business. I don't want to be in the breaking news business. Uh, we we report <laughs> fact um, or pass along rumor, and when it is rumor, we acknowledge it as such. But right. uh, yeah, we we go straight down the middle here. Uh, no funny business. No making things up for clout. I was just passing along information. That was publicly available. That that wasn't even, uh, this wasn't texted to me. This was not some backroom me working deals. This was publicly available information. I just put it in a timeline. You just put the pieces together in a tweet and people were like, no, there's no way. This guy's not as big as Kentucky sports radio, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure those guys have no reason to like, and and we'll get it to a second. But when it comes to this whole timeline, the only side that looks bad is A&M. So why would the AM side like like if you're telling the truth about this and you know you're making AM look bad, where's the lie that helps AM look good? The only side that has uh, an, any incentive to lie, and I'm not saying that they are, but the only side that has incentive to lie is the program that almost had their coach poached. It was a very bizarre, bizarre circumstance in a couple of hours. So uh as I reported, um again, passing along publicly available information. Right. Mark Stoops, uh, Saturday afternoon, tabbed as the next head coach of Texas A&M. He had even begun telling people that he was leaving. This is immediately off the heels of a a rivalry victory over Louisville, knocking them out of any shadow of a a race for the playoff. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem was that whether Ross Bjork extended this ahead of time without the Board of Regents' knowledge or if – there was some sort of miscommunication. I, I that I don't know. Uh, A&M had not given the final approval. There was nothing signed that Mark Stoops was going to be the next head coach of Texas A&M, although he was offered that and had verbally accepted that offer. So that news leaks out, gets reported. Texas A&M fans go berserk. Uh, somehow the Texag servers did not shut down, but you had millions of people kind of in one voice saying, no, absolutely not. And and it's hard to blame A&M fans because when they listen to the criteria uh, that was set out by Ross Bjork in their coaching search, Stoops didn't really meet any of the stated goals, right? right. Other than maybe a blue-collar mentality, a guy who's going to come in and commit to the process, that is Stoops, without a doubt. But the rest of the things, the familiarity with the area, None of that applied to Stoops. So it was a very weird name right. from that sense. Uh, and then from that point, uh, Mike Elko, Elijah Robinson were kind of tabbed as the two favorites. Obviously, Elko ends up getting hired, although it does seem like Elijah Robinson will be retained in some sort of elevated role, whether it's associate head coach um, and a raise or it is as defensive coordinator, we have yet to find out. But uh, no doubt, um, this was... Kind of the Greg Schiano situation at Tennessee from 2018, I believe, uh, ratcheted up to a, a another level because instead of a couple of days and weeks to have something overturned, it was mere hours that right. AM backed off their hire of Stoops. Well, and I think that was, and again, I don't really know anything about this, but I almost feel like that had to have been the plan was to leak this thing a little bit early of when it was officially official just to make sure that I think somebody somewhere 
just didn't like what was going on. I, I think it, it could have been a guy on the board, could have been somebody, you know, in the decision-making process somewhere. Could have been Ross Bjork. I don't know. Maybe he felt like he was getting pushed to make a decision by the board and he didn't love the decision that was being made. I like, I don't know at this point, but why would you let that leak before it's all tied up, if not to try to influence public opinion? I, I just I don't understand why that would be. I mean, I know sometimes they'll like soft float an idea. Like, hey, this might be the guy that we're looking at. But typically you do that in like a, this guy's a finalist for the job situation. Not, hey, this guy's going to be the next coach. That's not typically where you get to when you're trying to float an idea to your fan base. So if it was if it was something like that where the board decided, let's leak this, get the, get the public backlash we need so that when we get to this board meeting tonight, we can say no. Or if it was, like, I, I, again, I don't know what it was, but clearly it worked for whoever decided to leak this out. Um, or, or clearly we got the decision that we wanted as Aggie fans. Cause I don't think there were very many of us in the A&M camp that were like, Oh, Mark Stoops, bang up guy. Let's go. Let's do this thing. Rock and roll. Me and yeah. me and Mark. I, I think there was a different expectation. And, and even though maybe Mike Elko doesn't have, you know, the, the bona fides on his side right now, I think there's a lot more long-term potential and opportunity in Mike Elko as opposed to where Mark Stoops is right now. And, and you've kind of seen what he can do with this program. He could have been a great hire. He could have had things rolling here in five or six years at AM. But I think there's more of a win now mentality with AM. And I think the idea is because Elko can probably retain a lot of the roster and because he can probably work with Robinson on the defensive side of the ball and keep a lot of those guys in place, let's go nail the offensive coordinator hire, make sure that that's good. And, and, and Rock and roll, right? If you're AM, you're ready to go and hopefully keep a lot of your roster in place, try to win more in the immediate future than the long term. Uh, speaking of offensive coaching staff, Bobby Petrino finalizing a deal to become the offensive coordinator at Arkansas of all places. Um, I'm sure if you do a quick web search of Bobby Petrino at Arkansas, you'll find all kinds of wonderful things um, from his first time that he was My there. So, that hurts uh, all of a sudden. What um, is. <laughs> A match, uh, a match made in heaven there. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to Michigan State. And the Spartans have a lot that they've got to get done. Maybe they found the man for the job in Jonathan Smith, formerly the head coach at Oregon State. He's brought in on a seven-year, $7.25 million deal per year. Here, my gut feel here is... Jonathan Smith is a great head coaching hire. I've been a fan of his for a number of years. I believe, I can't remember who did the Oregon State preview for us back in the summer. Um, but I've been a big Jonathan Smith fan for a while. He got them to their first 10-win season at Oregon State in program history. Had them ranked inside the top 15 for a good chunk of this season. Uh, and, and finished with, I believe it was a 9-3 and campaign um, up there in Corvallis. The issue for me is not the head coach. It's the location and quality situation of the job at Michigan State. That is a program that is in need of severe rebuilding, not only from a football standpoint, because everybody in their kid brother has hit the transfer portal, but also from an image standpoint. Michigan State has had so many things, so many scandals go wrong over the last few years, and I'm not even talking off-the-field stuff, I'm even talking to the brawl between the Spartans and the Wolverines in the tunnel after last year's game. It has been such a poorly coached, a poorly run organization 
in East Lansing. I think I'm more afraid for Jonathan Smith than I am for Michigan State. <laughs> you might actually have a point there. Uh, just to make sure we're on this, uh, eight and four was the record this year. Lost eight, the last okay. two to Washington and Oregon yeah. with Washington State and uh, Arizona. So those are the four losses okay. there. But didn't feel like that. It certainly felt like it was a much better season than that. A couple of close losses to two to Washington, three to Arizona. Those are a couple of really good teams. Three to Washington State as well. So um, let's not talk about the Oregon game. Um, so, uh, but but if you're looking at this, I, I think this is a good hire for Michigan State. But I, I'm kind of with you. It, it might just grind him down more than it it you know builds up Michigan State. I, I think that this is a program builder in Jonathan Smith. He's the kind of guy that if you need to tear it down and make this thing work he'll be able to get you back there. He said as much in his like introduction post, right? When he, when the coaches make those posts on social media, talking about how excited they are to go to their next job. One of the things that he said in that was something along the lines of I'm committed to doing this the right way and to building a program the right way, no matter how long it takes, you know, we're going to build a program that's set up for long-term success and, and, and talking like that. And, and I love that. That's, you know, good speak from a, from a head coach. But this is really what Michigan State needs right now. They need somebody to come in and be that guy that can, you know, kind of stay with them and, yeah, deal with some choppy waters and kind of guide them through this next step. I think he's a really good head coach. I just kind of think the timing is bad for Michigan State here. Um, he's This isn't the right time, I don't think, to go into a, you know, rebuild just from the standpoint that you're about to enter a conference with no more divisions. And you have Michigan and Ohio State where they are right now. You're adding in Washington and Oregon. Who knew those are going to be the two imposing teams coming into the conference? Uh, as well as USC, if they can figure out the defense. And, and maybe they have a Lincoln-Riley problem. Maybe they don't. Um, but but those are you know four or five teams immediately that you would say, okay, we'll go jump any of those teams at sort of that really good to elite level. Um, you could throw Penn State in there as well. Um, there's six programs there that you have to think about jumping to get back into this conversation in, in, in your program. I, I'm not necessarily optimistic that he can do the job fast enough. And, and I hope that they'll stay committed to him long-term, but you know, this is a, this is a seven year contract. Obviously he'll get the seven years to do it, but I, I wonder what happens if he turns in a couple of, you know, four and eights, at the beginning with a rebuilding roster, or if he turns into like a six and six or a seven and five, and it's not quite getting to that level as fast as the, the Spartan fans want. I, I, I don't know the temperature on the ground there, but, but I'm, I'm wondering what would happen if he turns in a couple of slow years here on the beginning. I, I certainly don't think that this is going to be a quick, a quick trigger pull to get right, Smith yeah. out because this is a roster that is going to have, probably less than, I don't know, 40 scholarship players when all is said and done. I mean, everybody, every single player is allowed to transfer in the wake of a coaching change. And so Jonathan Smith, I'm sure he's going to bring some guys with him from Corvallis. Uh, you know, he's at least somewhat familiar with that region of the country, but this is a program building move. He did it at Oregon State where he was a quarterback way back in the day. Very familiar, obviously, with the Beavers and their brand. Now he's moved up a level. Now he's moved to a college football program, a college football playoff program uh, from back in the day, right? Folks forget that the Spartans have made it to the Final Four before. They're a long way away from making a return 
to the college football playoff, even in the 12-team iteration. But I love the hire. Jonathan Smith mm-hmm. is a guy that can come in, can instill a culture, and I think he is an excellent fit to guide Michigan th- State through what inevitably will be a bumpy next couple of years. Uh, as we've seen with USC, with Colorado, there are no shortcuts through the portal. You cannot just build a super team. Michigan State isn't on that level anyway, uh, but I love it. I think this is a, a a heart and hustle guy, a high character guy, and I think Jonathan Smith is the perfect hire for Michigan State. It's just going to take a little bit of time uh, to, to pull the cord on him uh, soon at all would be a gigantic mistake for Sparty, but I, I don't think... I don't think they're in that camp. I think that fan base realizes the the hole that they're in. Right. And and I wasn't saying that that was the case. I was more, you know, guessing at what would happen if that were to happen, if, if it goes, you know, a couple of years of kind of bad football, it's not getting up off the mat. I'm also curious in terms of program building, how well he's going to be able to take advantage of the portal up there. Um, because on, on one hand, I think he did a pretty decent job with Oregon State. He was able to get a couple guys, you know, DJU was kind of the big dude that he got to, you know, bring in. But uh, I'm curious who wants to sign up to go move up to Michigan State if he doesn't make a big splash initially, right? Who who wants to go sign up to do that if, you know, it's still Michigan, still Ohio State, still Washington, still Oregon, you know, maybe add in a, a resurgent Iowa if they can ever find out how to play good offense. Um, you know, you could have a lot of teams that are, you know, really – they they look better in terms of where their program is. They could look a lot better of, you know, what their future could look like, and, and they might be the bigger players in the portal. I, I'm I'm just curious to see what he can do. I'm not doubting him. I just think I'm 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 waiting to see what he can do in the portal, and if he can bring in some guys that can help kind of kickstart this thing, get a little bit of heat behind it. Because if he can if he can get this thing going, then I, I have no doubt that he can you know win on the field and build this program to where it needs to be actually texting with a, a Michigan State insider right now. Uh, so we may have more right. on the Michigan State uh, side of things uh, coming down the pipe, whether it's on YouTube or Spotify. Just uh, We'll monitor that and uh, and see what, what transpires there. Mississippi State, very, very interesting situation because uh, they don't give Zach Arnett a full season. They fire him before the Egg Bowl. They bring in Jeff Levy from Oklahoma who – uh, architect of an electric offense there from the Art Bryles coaching tree by way of, of marriage. Uh, so that's an interesting tidbit. Take that for what you will. But he's now a first-time head coach in the SEC, taking over a program that really struggled. Five and seven uh, will limp into this second offseason sans the Pirate. But it's an interesting situation because this is still a roster, at least as it is right now, uh, without Will Rogers, that is constructed to run an air raid style of offense. Zach Arnett took them away from that. A defensive-minded guy, but he still blew up everything with the offense and tried to force Mississippi State to go a different direction. I think the higher-ups in Starkville realized that's not the way that this program competes in the SEC. So really, you know, as I look at it, my question to you no matter the prowess of a head coach, where is Mississippi State's place in the new look SEC? I think that they're kind of in that middle to lower tier, but can be real plucky if they get the right guys in place, right? I think they're they're the kind of team that can jump up and get you on a bad week and 
and, and do that. I, I think the problem here, and, and I kind of talked about it just a second ago with Michigan State, it, it's more just what you can do with the portal and, and the dynamics of today's game, right? Unfortunately, you know, the top players that are going to want to go and transfer out and find their opportunities, they're going to want to find programs that they can go in and make an immediate impact. If they don't see that, I don't think that it exists, right? I, I don't think that they go. And, and so for uh, for Mississippi State, I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of in that same camp of like, okay, well, if if Jeff Levy doesn't flash immediately, right? If there's not a, you know, oh, wow, look at that. They took Bama to the close game in the fourth quarter or something like that then I'm curious to see if they can keep some momentum and get those guys in. When they get guys in, you know, I, I don't doubt that they can. I mean, Starkville's a hard place to play. That's, that's you yep. know, it gives teams nightmares and the cowbells and everything else. I mean, it's it's a tough place to play, a real passionate fan base. I, I just, you know, you got to see the roster construction. And I'm, I don't know sure. that Jeff Levy is going to be able to construct a good roster. Again, this is just a, a question on the front end is, how well is he going to build his roster? He's got some connections. He can build a good staff. I don't doubt that. He's, you know, a great mind, obviously, in the Bryles tree. So he's going to be good at offense. He's, he's going to know what he's doing. Um, and he's been good at his previous couple of stops. I mean, they've, they've played good football where he's been. So uh, I'm not doubting his X's and O's knowledge. I'm more just questioning in this era when you're a player in the South and you're looking for somewhere to go and you're you know one of those top echelon guys, you're looking a lot of places except for Mississippi State right now, and he has to find a way to change that. He's also got to find a way to, re, you know, recover the roster a little bit. I know Will Rogers left, um, and and or at least is expected to leave, is what it's looking like. Yeah. Um. And and you know, I, I can't imagine he'll be the only one of their, you know, more talented players that's going to say, you know what? Well, I don't really know the new head coach, and I'm trying to make a decision for me, and I just want to find a different place. It, he's got his work cut out for him, keeping the roster together. Um, but if he can get his guys in the portal, maybe there's a couple connections from Oklahoma. Maybe he can grab a guy or two and and start to roll. Um, you know, I'm just I, this is one that I'm a little less warm on than the previous couple. I think Elko is going to be really good at AM. and I think Smith's going to be really good at Michigan State. I'm a little bit in the doubting category on Levy at Mississippi State. It's obviously very familiar with the state of Mississippi, formerly on Lane Kiffin's staff at the SIP. Uh, Lane's been... I don't know, trolling him, nudging him, tweeting a lot about it. Um, who knows what Lane Kiffin is really thinking when he tweets. He tweets a lot um, about a lot. He he does. A volume shooter over there uh, in, in Oxford. Um, I like the fit overall. I'm I'm curious to see what kind of recruits will now come in, who will stay home, who will come in from, <clears throat> excuse me, from around the country, and uh, yeah, how, how they start to place in the New Look SEC. A uh, heartwarming story uh, up in Northwestern, not necessarily a major hire, but certainly one that deserves a round of applause. David Braun was announced as the Big Ten Coach of the Year unanimously earlier today. If you remember, he took over the Wildcats program. That was 1-11 last season. Pat Fitzgerald dismissed amongst hazing allegations earlier this season. David Braun had never been a head coach before, had never taken on a role or responsibility of this magnitude, not only did he uh, do his job admirably, he took Northwestern to seven and five. Uh, they're going bowling. They looked like a competent team this year. They had some quality wins. And now David Braun has been awarded with the full-time head coaching job up there for the Wildcats. I don't have really a, a ton to say on this other than just making sure folks know that story because Northwestern is not a program 
that a lot of people pay attention to. But to go from one and eleven to seven and five on such short notice, just a miraculous job by David Braun. Well, and we talked about it a little bit on the live show Saturday with what they were able to accomplish. Going seven and five after the, I mean, drama of the offseason. And also the drama was like right before the season started. Yes. It's not like this happened in, in you know, February and you were able nope. to kind of get a guy in there and still get a little spring ball and at least to get your offseason workouts. This guy just showed up to work one day like, hey, coach is gone. You know, hey, you're the guy. You're right? it. <laughs> He's like, so when do I move my stuff over to my new desk or yeah. am I just going to stay here? Like. And and to do all of that, to keep the program together, to keep the players on the same page, to to galvanize the troops, as it were. And, and, you know, they weren't that good on offense, but they put a really respectable defense together, won some games. And, you know, this wasn't necessarily a great year for a lot of teams in the Big Ten, but this is still a, a solid Big Ten conference with some really, really, really good teams and coaches in it. The fact that he was able to unanimously win Coach of the Year I think says a lot about him, a lot about his character, a lot about his ability as a coach. And I hope that he gets a chance to really succeed there because I think it'd be really fun to see him, you know, get this Northwestern team back to something pretty respectable that's competing somewhat regularly. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Um, hey, Northwestern, they're they're dangerous every other year. So if we could get some more consistency out of the program, I think everybody would appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, but congratulations, David Braun. A job well done, as I mentioned, unanimously named Big Ten Coach of the Year. Uh, the final job that has been claimed, and this was just a couple of, uh, I guess, hours ago, maybe an hour ago, Georgia defensive back coach Fran Brown has officially been named the head coach at Syracuse. Dino Babers was let go um, earlier in, I guess, the week. Uh, and Fran Brown now taking over. Did have, uh, was reading earlier, some of the Georgia commits, specifically the secondary class, was saying, hey, we love Fran, but we want to be at Georgia. So uh, <laughs> those those between the hedges wondering, are any of our guys going up north? Any Syracuse fans wondering if any Georgia commits are coming uh, to upstate New York? I don't think that's happening. But yeah, The, what the program's heard, a little bit bigger than yeah. Fran Brown. Hey, maybe he's taking some broadcasters up there with him. I, yeah, I don't maybe, know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, admittedly don't know a ton about Fran other than, than what I've read supposed to be an outstanding coach and uh, certainly wish him the best at Syracuse. Uh, for the rest of these jobs, I, I wanted to take a look at them and, and rank them into tiers. And so we've got an A, B and C tier and uh, Garrett, let's start here with the A tier that being Duke and Houston. Now, Maybe you don't consider these A-tier jobs in the grand scheme of things in college football. That's a debate to be had. But I wanted to, instead of getting hung up on that, rank the available jobs in order of kind of most desired to maybe not so desired by the majority of America. Uh, but Duke and Houston, obviously Mike Elko has uh, some big shoes to fill and replace. And there are some salty Duke fans out there, which I totally understand. If you were to take over one of these two programs, which would it be and why? I think right now I would want to take over Duke. Um, there, there's a lot of appeal to taking over the Houston job. Uh, obviously you're in Houston, one of the best recruiting cities um, you're in the Big 12 and, you know, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. But I think that if you're looking at the bigger picture, Houston right now is going to be in a conference where you're, you're not losing, you know, Texas and Oklahoma and nothing else is happening. 
right? You are adding an Arizona team that's on fire, a Utah team that's been really, really good, um, a Colorado team with a lot of hype, though maybe not necessarily as much hype as there has been in the past. Uh, and then also, I guess, you know, Arizona State's coming too. Um, but you're going to have to compete with, you know, at, at least Arizona and Utah in the immediate future with what they're able to do. You're also going to have to consider, you know, guys, you know, like like Oklahoma State that don't seem to go away. Um, Baylor, if they can get things right, I know that there's a lot of potential, at least in Baylor. TCU was just in the playoff a couple years ago. Can't imagine they're not going to find a way to recover. Iowa State's typically a pretty good out. Oh, yeah, the Kansas school's playing really good football, though. I mean, Kansas State is getting schlacked by the portal right now. So maybe, maybe yes, Kansas yes, they State are looking to take a regression, but Kansas is looking plenty fine. So when you look around the Big 12 conference, it though you are in Texas, though you are in Houston, I don't know that's the better job to take. Right now, Duke, you're adding Cal, Stanford, SMU. SMU is probably the best of those teams right now. Um, I would say they're going to be your best competition, but you're still just looking at, you know, having to get over the Florida State, maybe Clemson, um, you know, maybe, I mean, Louisville, if they can keep it up long-term. Let's see if that's a one-and-done or if that's actually a long-term good move. Not as many tough teams, I think, in that conference uh, to get over. And, And I think that the renewed passion that fan base has after the elko era short as the short as it was i mean in two years but there's a renewed passion i think there's renewed interest in the program and if you were able to kind of catch that momentum on your way in i think you could do something pretty good at duke that you may not have the opportunity to do at houston i think i'd go the other way and we'll see what houston ends up doing because cliff kingsbury suddenly rumored to be a candidate there. That is very, very that, early That would on. be really good, yeah. yeah. As we talk about it, it would seem to be, I, I don't know if it would be really good or not, because it, it honestly seems like kind of Dana Holgerson, but but younger, right? Um, yeah. And maybe and that's what sunglasses. Houston, say that again? And with sunglasses. And and with sunglasses. Maybe a better fitting dry fit shirt. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, uh, Holgerson, an ultimate competitor. I can't believe it didn't work out at Houston. I, I really thought he was going to take that program uh, to competing for conference championships, certainly in the group of five state, which he did, uh, but then it just all fell apart. Remember that they were supposed to go 12 and 0 last year. We were looking at their schedule going, man, I, I cannot find a loss. And, uh, and that clearly did not happen. He doesn't even survive the uh, conclusion of the next season. Yeah. Uh, Houston with the donor base. I think that is a program that can be built very quickly. They're in a recruiting hotbed. I think I would rather take over Houston with some of those natural built advantages. There's a chance that they could be bringing in Jeff trailer as well. He reportedly interviewed for that job. I believe yesterday UTSA is trying to scramble to find the funds to keep him, but that is a storyline to watch as well in the B tier. We can take one name off and this is literally breaking news. I just saw it on come across the wire. Trent Bray, the defensive coordinator at Oregon State, has been elevated to the head coaching job. Oregon State is filled. I think that's a great hire for Oregon State. Handle it internally amidst the chaos, amidst the um, unclear nature of where they're going to be affiliated going forward. They are finalizing a new scheduling model with the Mountain West Conference. um, And hiring a guy that's on staff is a Oregon State grad as well. I think keeping continuity together for the Beavs is the best move that they could do. 
the other names in this B tier list, Indiana, Boise State, and San Diego State, uh, Syracuse, as you can see on the graphic, if you're watching on YouTube, was also in that. I, I removed them since that job got filled. Yeah. Out of Indiana, Boise State, San Diego State, do you have a leaning on you know, which of those programs is in need of maybe just a facelift, which is in need of the most work? Because I would, I would tend to lean Indiana needing the most work. They need the most work, and it's partially because of their conference, right? And for all the yeah. reasons I said earlier that you know Michigan State's going to be a tough rebuild, uh, take that times nine Indiana to get to you know where rest Indiana currently is. Rest in peace, nine Indiana. But yeah, it, it's it's going to be a tough rebuild for Indiana finding a way to jump all of the guys currently in the Big Ten and and with the newcomers and everything else. It's maybe not necessarily great days ahead. Uh, in the short term for Indiana. But if you can find the right guy and you can start to build it up a little bit, again, portal is going to be key. Finding your guys is going to be key. Um, but if you can do that, that's going to be a, a lot of work. But I think you can still get there. I'd say the job I'd be most excited about here is actually going to be San Diego State. I think they got a lot of opportunities there, um, especially with you know USC and UCLA leaving at the Pac-12 heading to the Big Ten. Um, you get an ability to tell kids they get to stay and play on the West Coast if you're San Diego State, you know, more or less staying in the West Coast and getting to play on that side of the country. I think that's a good thing for San Diego State. Um, and so they, I think they're going to do a better job being able to keep talent and, and keep it on board. Um, and so that'd be the job that I'd be a little bit more excited about if I were if I were in this B tier list. I like Boise State uh, a lot. I think San Diego State also with an offensive coach could be a ton of fun, right? You're in a oh, recruiting yeah. hotbed. You've got a new stadium. Uh, your defense is, has been really, really solid. Folks were calling them Iowa light all season long. If you could just get someone in there that could score points consistently. Remember, San Diego State was a very, very good team just two seasons ago yep. under Brady Hoke. Uh, I, I, think there's, I think there's a lot of potential there. You just need the right man. And listen, Brady Hoke retiring, long, successful career. Certainly don't blame him for, for stepping away. San Diego kind of screams youth anyway to me, right? Let's yeah. maybe that is where I would if I was just to throw a dart and well, say, yeah, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury is going to get back into the game. It'd be San Diego State. Well, and you get the cool, you know, black and red, and you get the kind of trendy looking jerseys and the cool print and the chrome and everything. It's, it's just a cool place to be. You got to be cool in the in that you know part of Southern California. So let's get cool. Let's you know let's have a fun time and and get a young guy in there. I think Cliff would be a lot of fun at San Diego State, honestly. Yeah. C tier. Uh, to round this out, UTEP, New Mexico, Louisiana Monroe, who uh, passes on renewing Terry Bowden's contract, and mm. Mid-Tennessee State, which surprised me. Rick Stock still had been there for 18 seasons. The Blue Raiders were always, felt like growing up, a shoe-in for the RNL Carriers Bowl. Uh, those days are long gone. UTEP is the only one that I've heard rumblings about, and this would be a fascinating hire. Brennan Marion, uh, UNLV offensive coordinator, is rumored to be interested in the UTEP job. He was also in the running for the Oklahoma offensive coordinator. I forgot to mention, Joe John Finley and Seth Luttrell are being hired as co-coordinators, elevated as co-offensive coordinators uh, for Boomer Sooner. I'm sure that will will work out just fine. I, I like both of those names offensively. Yeah. But Brennan Marion not getting that job means he is still in the running for a head coach. And UTEP needs 
anything to go right. They they finally uh, fired Dana Dimel. I think that is a, a, a move long overdue. If you could get some energy and some actual identity out in El Paso, that could be a really fun team to watch in Conference USA. I, I totally agree. I also I saw something else earlier. I don't know if it got shot down. I could I just kind of saw it passing on Twitter and thought, hmm, that'd be interesting. Apparently, and again, this could be agent smoke or something else, but another name I saw linked to UTEP was, you know, Mr. Sweats a lot, hitch Gary Patterson himself. I, yeah, I'd seen that as well. That would be that would be electric. Could you imagine Gary Patterson out there at UTEP just hitching up his pants, sweating through his shirt? You know, that'd be that'd be incredible out there at UTEP. And, and I think it'd bring a lot of energy to the program. It, you know, it's a name that people are familiar with. It's a good name in the state of Texas. Could be a lot of fun. Could, could Gary Bat- uh, Patterson deal with that, though? Uh, like, that just seems like such an out-of-character move for for him, given given the heights it, it that he reached. It would be bizarre. It would be very bizarre. It'd be like seeing, you know, the you know when the players leave and they go somewhere else. It's like, you know, uh, like when... You know, you have these weird, like when Michael Jordan played for the Wizards. Like it's, it's just weird that you would have a different jersey than the one that you're iconically in. It still doesn't feel right to not see him in purple, even when he had that little stint at Texas. I'm like, this isn't right. You, you belong in purple. Why are you wearing orange? And so, you know, maybe it's more interesting at UTEP. Maybe he'd do that if he wants to get back into coaching. I have no idea if that's true or not. Gary Patterson hanging out in the Bhutanese architecture out there in El Paso. Uh, they call them castles in the clouds. Gary Patterson could be king of the castle in the clouds if he goes Sweating out. Sweating it up. To you, Tim. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's a that's a pretty solid roundup of what we know at this time. Again, that is as up to date as as I've seen. I was scouring uh, Twitter as we as we kept going along. Um, obviously seeing the the Bray news at Oregon State. That's a great development for them. But uh, let us know as as we continue to go along who you would like to see some of these jobs be filled by. If you're a fan of one of these programs, write in at 3TechPod, Instagram, X, Twitter. You can write into our Gmail as well, 3TechPod at gmail.com. Who fits your program and why? That's what we want to know from you, the Jimmies and the Joes. Also, just a massive thank you to uh, everyone who has jumped on board the Jimmies and the Joes bandwagon. We added a couple hundred of you over this past week. We're glad to have you. And uh, certainly looking forward to seeing you in our live shows. Those go live about 10 o'clock Central Time on Saturday nights. We'll have a full slate of off-season content coming up as well. So make sure you are a part of the ride for all of that. For Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for hanging out. Until next time, so long, everybody. Gracious, yeah. How about that?